0: Glad to be with you guys again. It's great to see your faces after some much-needed time away. Uh, It was really refreshing. It was a good period of prayer and meditation for me, and I was grateful to each of you to allow me the time to be able to recuperate and to Pastor Paul to reflect and just listen to the Lord for a while. It's important every once in a while just to take some time aside to not speak, to not do, but to just listen. Uh, So I'm grateful for that. Thank you for affording me that time away. I'd also like to make mention of these lilies here at the altar Uh, These uh, lilies here are for those of you who have experienced loss this year, and I share some of your pains. I was at some of those funerals. I preached some of those funerals, but whether the death you experienced of a loved one this year was expected or unexpected, whether it was due to sickness or something else, these are here for you to take one of these in remembrance of your lost loved ones. And please, only take one if you've actually lost someone this year, not just because you really like flowers or something, but uh, these are to remind you, just a symbol of remembrance to say, even in the valley of the shadow of death, God still makes all things new. And that's precisely what this season is about. Uh, so if you're here, I invite you after service, as you're, going, as you're making your way out, to grab one of these Just as a reminder to yourself that there is still hope in darkness. Well, for those of you who don't know me, as Pastor Paul said, I'm uh, Pastor Dylan. I'm honored to be able to open God's word for you this morning as we remember the events of Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week is called such because it's the defining week in history. More important even than the birth of the Messiah, more important than Christmas, is the accomplishment of his sufferings and his resurrection. The week that he ushered in the new creation, the world as it's going to be, where Jesus started it all, says he's the firstborn from the dead. And today we commemorate Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, the day Jesus enters into Jerusalem triumphantly. And oftentimes we focus on the praises of the uh, the crowd on this day, the adoring shouts of the disciples, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's pretty typical on a Palm Sunday. We love that celebratory sensation and that feel-good moment. And yet for the disciples, it's short-lived. And soon these adoring disciples have forsaken Christ altogether because the real triumph isn't Palm Sunday. It's what follows. But the disciples can't see that yet. They're disillusioned and they're about to be confused by the week that is about to take place. They're sorrowful. Jesus himself is called a man of sorrows. In this passage we're going to read today, it says the disciples are sleeping for sorrow. And this message that I come to you today with was born out of a place for me of deep personal sorrow. See, while I was gone, I spent a large amount of time in prayer and in reading the scriptures because I needed it. Sometimes in the course of our lives, we're so weighed down and wearied that we're lulled to sleep by life's trials. And in the last few years, it has been a battle, a fight for me to stay awake. It's been a crucible and a challenge. Because if you get one thing out of today's scriptures, I hope it's this. That sorrow can put you to sleep, or it can awaken you to God's mission. Sorrow can put you to sleep, or it can awaken you to God's mission. We're going to be in Luke chapter 21, right at the tail end, verses 34 to 36. And we're also going to read a portion of chapter 22, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Chapter 21 starts out, Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem, He's kicked out everybody who's trying to make money off of uh, the people coming into the temple, and he's shut the religious leaders up of his day. He's shut them down. And so he sits down after all of this takes place, and he starts to teach his disciples in chapter 21. He has lessons to teach them in the temple as he's going about his final week. And what he says to them and their subsequent actions have a lot to teach us. And I think they're worthy of meditation today. So I'm going to be reading, again, Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. Luke 21, 34 to 36. And Luke 22, 40 to 46. Luke 22, 40 to 46. I'll give you a second to get there. These uh, sections are both the last words of Jesus in his teachings in the temple, in Luke's gospel, and the disciples' reaction to that teaching later on. So they're the last thing Jesus says in the temple before his arrest and crucifixion and the disciples' response to that teaching a little bit down the road. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 21, 34 to 36 now. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all the things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Those are the last words recorded in Luke's gospel to to the disciples in the temple. And then if you move over one chapter into 22 to verse 40, Jesus is addressing his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Father, today we come to you and we ask that you would revive our hearts again, that you would restore, that you would cause the earth and ourselves to blossom because we We plant, Lord, we water, but only you can give the growth. So I pray that today that you would give the supernatural growth of the Holy Spirit, that you would make your church what you intended it to be, for you said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I pray that in a fiery trial of a season, the same way your your son went through trial, we would follow in his footsteps and come out the better for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Today, I want to begin by focusing on Christ's teaching, his words, in the temple in chapter 21. I want to focus on what he says to the disciples before I focus on the disciples' actions. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, meaning the last day, the judgment day, come upon you suddenly like a trap. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all of these things and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is telling his followers that unless we're careful, we have the tendency to be rocked to sleep by the things of this life. This is a playbook given to us by Jesus on how life can put you to bed if you're not careful. And it's interesting that he says, watch yourselves. Because it's a subtle way of telling the disciples to stay prayerful. You see, if you go over to Mark's gospel in chapter 14, verse 36, he says this to Simon Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? And this might seem an odd warning to the disciples. You see, they're sitting in the temple at Jerusalem with the promised Messiah who's been prophesied and promised for at least a couple hundred years, arguably thousands of years. They are arguably at the pinnacle, the peak of Israel's history. The Messiah is on earth. The prophecies seem to be fulfilled. And they're standing in the spot where they think it's all meant to take place. But a heavy, weighed-down heart, Jesus warns us, can take us to places that we didn't expect we would go. It can embitter us, disappoint us, deplete us, and put us to sleep, and we can go from our ideal dream to a nightmare in the short course of a couple of days, just like the disciples did, especially when our hopes rest on maintaining paradise here in the present. What happens when our hearts are weighed down and put to sleep is spelled out by Jesus in verses 34 to 35. Watch yourselves, lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. I was, uh, as Pastor Paul said, I was away and I rented a little Airbnb, uh, just a little shack. It was a bathroom and a bedroom, basically. And I was staying there for two weeks and I read this and I wept. I was in prayer, and God brought me to this moment of realization. I can't describe it. It was like fear and love all at once. It was trembling and joy, and I could do nothing but weep and pray for three days. And as I read this passage, I wept for myself, and I wept for you, and I felt the Lord was saying to me, "'Dylan, you are troubled by many things, but only one thing is necessary.'" My heart was so weighed down by the concerns and the cares, the family struggles and the financial worries, concerns about the futures and hopes disappointed, that it assaulted me over the course of two years and nearly put me in a spiritual coma. And as I wept and I prayed... I felt the Lord nearly compel me to intercede for many of you. And over the next few days, I could do nothing but walk around silently weeping and praying for you. I wept for my church family. I wept for the lost. I pleaded that God would give us a life worth living and that we wouldn't be entangled in civilian affairs. I wept that we would have something to give him on the day when he comes, that it wouldn't come upon us like a trap, and that we wouldn't be captured or discouraged by this life that we are currently living, that we wouldn't lose focus on the one hand, and we wouldn't lose heart on the other. As Christ warns his disciples, praying that you may have the strength to escape all of these things and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, I prayed that we wouldn't be distracted by all of these things and lose focus. And I prayed that we wouldn't just sit down in discouragement and fail, as Jesus says, to stand up before God when he comes. And I'm sure I looked like a crazy person. It was Florida, I came back with a negative test, by the way, all right, so I'm free and clear. The spring breakers are as crazy as people say. And uh, so I avoided them like the plague because no pun intended, they literally were the plague. And uh, I was walking around, everybody's enjoying the sun, everybody's having a good time, and I look like I'm totally out of my mind, weeping, walking around, talking to myself, and one young lady walks past me, visually disgusted that I could be so sad in such a happy place. (laughs) But I pleaded with God on your behalf. Mentioning many of you by name, calling out by, by your families that God would awaken you to the sweet promises of his word, that your life would not be immobilized, neutralized, and tranquilized by the distractions, comforts, and sorrows that come along. Because Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Life does not stop happening to us. But if we're not careful, we can let it put us to bed. Sorrow can lead us to seek comfort in places that it cannot be found. And many of us stand to reason if we can't have a happy life, then maybe at least we can have one that is numb. And we become weighed down and distracted by the concerns of our present life. I would venture to say some of us might care more for our pet's health than our own spiritual condition. We watch more of our own Netflix shows than we do spending time seeking the face of God. We pray more for our own peace, health, wealth, and comfort than we do for the condition of our own hearts. Is it any wonder that we're obsessed with politics? When you seek fleshly comforts, you resort to fleshly means. And like the disciples, we want the kingdom of God set up here and now on Palm Sunday instead of on Easter. We're obsessed with defeating Rome when all the while God is set on defeating Rome's true master, sin, death, and hell. And Jesus is reminding his followers in the middle of this waiting, don't lose heart and don't lose focus. Because some of you see the finish line, but it looks too far away. Serving Jesus seems too wearisome and too far off. You can't quite get there. And others among us haven't just lost that heart, but we've lost focus. We're not even looking at the right finish line anymore. We've sunk into what Jesus calls dissipation, which means seeking fulfillment in romantic, immoral release, or it can mean wasting and squandering what's been given to you squandering your time and your talents and your treasures and your responsibilities on reckless living, like Pastor Thomas said last week, not giving your utmost, your foremost, your best to God. And you've lost heart. According to Jesus' teaching in the temple, the loss of one or both of these things, focus and heart, is how sorrow puts us to sleep. And if Satan cannot entice you, he will dishearten you. And if he's disheartened you, you are ripe to be drawn away to settle for less than the kingdom of God, to center, to, to settle for counterfeit comforts and to settle for premature victories. Satan would love to sing us a lullaby to make us dream of a different life or at the very least to be discontented with the one that the Lord has given but the Lord is too merciful to allow you to live a mediocre Christian life and I will not stand before the Lord I will not rest until I see every one of you awaken to the goodness and the glory of God the magnificent joy and strength that is available to each and every one of you when we stop living for our own comfort and security and begin saying to God the words of Isaiah the prophet send me lord here am i and whatever got us to the place where we are doesn't matter whether it was distraction whether it was depression whether it was drunkenness whether it was simply the cares of life it doesn't matter you can stay awake but sometimes when all of life's troubles sing you a lullaby it's easier to sleep than it is to live. And I understand that. For me, it was the splintering of my family. The weight of bearing others' pains, of of carrying family members' burdens that I shouldn't have had to, to, to picking up the pieces of others' lives. The responsibility was numbing and crushing. And I didn't have the strength necessary to meet the responsibilities of the day. And I fell asleep as some of you are now. You may not be asleep in sin, but you can be asleep in sorrow. And yet I called to the Lord and he awakened me to the call I have in Christ and he daily gives me the strength required to live the life that he has given. It might not be the life that I've chosen, but it's one that I'm pleased to glorify God in. And I pleaded with him to never allow us to empty his courts empty-handed, that we wouldn't have lives that are barren, but that yield much fruit. And I daily plead the same for many of you before God, that the Holy Spirit would awaken you from the dream that you've been drifting through because God's desire is to liberate you, commission you, and be an unbroken communion with you forever. Yet we need to awaken from the stupor that we're in, a slumber brought on by the obsession with this life, both its sorrows and its comforts. We, like the disciples, are obsessed with Jerusalem when the new Jerusalem still stands far off. Your body Your wealth will all one day decay and die, but I implore you to think of the things, the treasures that you are storing up for yourself in that new city, that new country that is still yet to come, because it's a myth that you take nothing with you into the resurrection. You will either be clothed with your deeds of faith done now or you will be left with nothing. And I would have each of you be the rulers and princes that God intends you to be, not the paupers and beggars in which so many are in the danger of becoming. Listen to the words of the Lord to the church at Sardis in Revelations 3. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The Lord still has a mission for you to accomplish, He still has work for you to engage in. People still need to hear about Him. Hearts still need to be mended, wounds still need to be bound up, the deaf still need to hear, and the dead still need to be raised, and you are the hands and the feet of Christ here on this earth to see it done. More joy will be found in what you lose for Jesus than the comforts and the securities you retain here and now. And Paul the Apostle sings a chorus over the Ephesian church that I sing over each and every one of you now. Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. When you look at your life as it is, do you really see a life that is wide awake, wide-eyed, alert, and ready to run the race that is set before you, or are you merely sleepwalking? One of my favorite films, uh, series, is called The the Dark Knight Trilogy about Batman uh, by Christopher Nolan. I don't really like superhero movies too much. They're, They're just too extra. I mean, like, I can't I can't handle the world almost ending every six months. Thank you, Marvel Universe, okay? Another Avengers movie is going to kill me. It's too too stressful. But Batman's a little different for me. Batman is just a guy who's, you know, he's experienced loss and suffering. He's just a really angry dude who's angry at life and wants vengeance. (laughs) I think most of us in some way can relate to that. I can't really relate to a guy with superpowers. Batman's a man acquainted with... Suffering and loss. And each of the Dark Knight films, according to the director Christopher Nolan, is dealing with a di- different philosophical theme. The first one's dealing with fear, the second one's dealing with chaos, and the final movie, which is my favorite, is dealing with pain. And in this movie, Bruce Wayne has become old and weak. He's become depressed that he couldn't save his lover. He's been inactive for eight years. He thinks he's defeated crime, so he's just resting on his laurels, and he sits back and grows weak. And finally, when the real threat comes back to Gotham City in the form of Bane, Batman's led into a trap by Catwoman, and he's fighting Bane, and he's losing, and Bane says to him what I think is the most profound line in the entire film, peace, has cost you your strength. Victory has defeated you. Except he says it in like a Sean Connery voice that I can't quite get, you know, like, peace has cost you your strength. That's the best I got. Anyway, uh, Batman's beaten. He's broken. His body and his spirit are, are, are defeated and he's thrown into a pit. And that line rings in my head. Peace has cost you your strength. Victory has defeated you. And I think the Lord could say that of the American church and our religious freedom and maybe even some of us here today if we were listed in the book of Revelations as an address from our Lord Jesus. We're both weighed down by despair on the one hand and preoccupied with the cares and riches and the maintenance of them of this life on the other. We're both disillusioned by and yet trying to maintain this waking delusion because the sorrows of life can put you to sleep or they can awaken you to God's mission. Jesus stands in the temple after his triumphant entry today on Palm Sunday and warns his disciples, don't be too wrapped up in this moment. This isn't the real triumph. His last words in the temple are saying, this is not yet the kingdom of God. And I pray my disciples that you wouldn't be weighed down while you're waiting for the real thing. See, Jesus knew that the disciples like us have a tendency to look for permanence where it's not supposed to be found and to be discouraged when it's delayed. We want our fullest life here and now. And like the disciples, we ask the Lord, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And God knows this about us. Nothing puts us to sleep and takes us out of the race as quickly as disappointed expectations. We thought God would deliver one kind of life, one kind of marriage, one kind of hope, and instead we find ourselves in a very different one. We thought God would would deliver one kind of career, and instead we're facing the disappointments of this one. And the disciples are about to be let down in their expectations. They want Jesus to set up God's paradise, the kingdom of heaven, right then and there. And in chapter 22, we see the result of their letdown. And they're in the the garden of Gethsemane and listen to what happens. One more time. And he came to the place, the garden. He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he rose from prayer, he said to the disciples, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation." There's much to say about this more than I have time to, but first, I'd like to mention something. Jesus practices what he preaches. He tells the disciples in chapter 21 that they're weak and they need to pray for strength, and Jesus, in being a man just like you and I, had to pray for strength, and he receives it when he waits on God. It's an example worth following. But second, if you're not familiar with Holy Week, this can be a little confusing, if, if you're not really familiar with Christianity, this might seem offbeat. How did the, the disciples go from riding this high on Palm Sunday to being sleeping for sorrow on Thursday? What took place to make that happen? And it's because of what we call the last supper on Thursday. Jesus is setting the stage for his crucifixion. He's telling his disciples, I have to die. And by the way, one of you is gonna be doing the betraying and leading the pack And after this very intense Passover meal conversation, which, by the way, Passover is where we get communion or the Eucharist from in our tradition, Jesus brings them outside to pray because he knows they're weak and they need strength, but they just go to sleep because they're too sorrowful. They're overwhelmed by what they know is coming next. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just been so depressed, so overwhelmed by what life is challenging you with, that all you want to do is sleep? The scripture here says they're sleeping for sorrow. They thought Jesus would be the Messiah to rescue them from the hands of the Romans and to set up the kingdom of God, but instead he's talking to them about his need to die and be killed. And the disciples and Jesus are both experiencing the same thing here, though. Catch this. They're both experiencing the same thing, sorrow. But they're handling it in very different ways. Because sorrow can put you to sleep or it can awaken you to God's mission. You see, sorrow can put you down like the disciples or it can awaken you to accomplish God's mission like it did for Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. And oh, that God would give us eyes of faith like that to see our pain as an opportunity to shine brightly to see our disappointment as an occasion to trust God, to embrace our loss as gain for the sake of others. As Paul said in Colossians chapter one, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What could possibly be lacking in Jesus' affliction? If Paul didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. But he answers it in the very next verse, in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. What if your life, as hard as it may be, is an occasion for you to rise to so that others would see the fullness and sufficiency of God in your life? Pastor Paul in North Point would often challenge us in class and I had it saved as my phone background all the way through college. Your life is an occasion, rise to it. What if your life and its sufferings were like a lamp set on a post, shining into the darkness of other people's lives and giving them light? What if your life is meant to show that in spite of your weakness, the surpassing strength and glory belongs to God who sustains you through the unsustainable? What if they could look at you and say along with Moses, why is that bush burning and yet not consumed? And what if, like Jesus here, we could say, this isn't what I want for my life, Father, but your will be done, so that we could see the fruit of a faithful life. Like Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much fruit Jesus embodied it. He's asking us to follow it, to awaken from slumber and embrace the life that we might have never wanted so that other people could have the life that they never imagined, to awaken us to the mission of God. As I finish, I'm going to invite Ethan back to the keys. And as he comes, I don't say this lightly, so pay attention to me as I say these words. I have never said these words in five years and three months of pastoring here. And I don't know if I ever will again, but I feel very confidently that the Lord has instructed me to say this to you. Sorrow has put you to sleep. The disappointment with life, the agony of loss, and the cares of this life have caused you to lose consciousness. You've been weighed down by many things, but one thing is necessary, to sit at my feet. Let go of life as it should be, and you will find life as it can be. Those who seek to keep their life will lose it but those who are willing to lose their life for my sake and for the kingdom will find it. Awaken from death and you will truly live. Awaken from sleep and I will shine on you. Your life is not hopeless and your situation is not hopeless. Awaken, O oh sleeper. And I do not speak to you as a man who has no need of repentance. I tremble as I deliver it. The book of Hebrews says that not even the high priest is without sin, but is beset with weakness. And I certainly know that I am not free of frailty, but I say along with the apostle Paul... Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own when you discover the joy of belonging to Christ, you will burn with the desire to bring others into the family of God. Your prayers and your meditations change. Your desires begin to change. Your expectations don't disappear, but you begin to anticipate the right things. And your heartaches and your pain even serve as smelling salts to awaken you to the goodness of God in his sustaining power over your life. So what if you dared greatly? like Jesus to believe and act according to the knowledge that God is going to work all things together for good what if you didn't waste your sorrows but made other others question why is that person joyful with so little when I am discontent with so much and what if you endeavored to live and labor in faith like Christ did Teddy Roosevelt once said, "'Far better is it to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much, because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory or defeat.'" I think the Lord would say the same thing to us as he did to the disciples. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Awaken from your sleep and embrace the life God has placed in front of you. Pray and watch that you would live a life that honors God. A life that waits for the real kingdom, not the ones that we're trying to set up for ourselves. A life that doesn't get caught up on Palm Sunday on the way to Easter. But how do you do that? How do you awaken from sorrow when it's crushing and find what God has for you? Jesus has been stating it all along. Watch, pray, and wait on God. It's out of that place that God will give you the strength and the certainty for what lies ahead. It's out of the place of prayer that Jesus found the resolve and the joy to endure the cross. It's out of the place of prayer that I call to you along with our Lord rise and pray because the clearest path forward and the strength that you need to walk on it will be found in the agonizing place of prayer. Jesus just doesn't tell us, he shows us how to find strength and joy and it's in prayer all morning we've seen how person after person myself included can be tucked away by suffering but jesus shows us the antithesis of sorrow isn't happiness it's joy in god's will He lets his great drops of blood on this holy week awaken him to the call ahead. His cries of desperation lead him to walk into the mouth of the beast. In his sorrow he refused to be numb, refusing the wine offered to him by the centurion, choosing rather to be fully awake and fully alive as he executed the will of the Father as Hebrews twelve two says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was embracing God's commission with eyes wide open, fully experiencing all the pain, fully expecting to suffer, knowing that God's mission sometimes requires sacrifice from us. But sorrow embraced with joy will not leave you asleep. It will awaken you to eternal, satisfying life. Sorrow can put you to sleep. But by the grace and the empowerment of a Savior's life and example, it can awaken you to something greater. As Paul says in Philippians, it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer on his behalf. And elsewhere in Romans it says, if you join him in suffering, you will join him in resurrection when you join him in the agonizing place of prayer, angels will strengthen you as they did for him and you will find real life, the kind of life that can only be found when you lose the one that you're hanging on to. And that is what Holy Week is all about, the kind of life that can pass through fire, sorrow and death and still come out the other side awake and trusting the Lord God. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today and this week. You see, we can't abdicate that responsibility and joy of prayer to a special few people. There's no such thing as a prayer ministry. You are the ministry of prayer. If Jesus needed to pray, who are we to assume that our spiritual health and fortitude can be maintained without it? If he needed to pray with other people, who are we to assume that we can make it without it? To speak nothing of growing in our faith. We cannot give that burden, that joy to other people to bear on our behalf. Pastors can only intercede for you so much. Elders' prayers are great and important, but they are insufficient for your entire spiritual life. The strength and joy you're lacking is waiting for you in the place of agonizing prayer. It's there that you have not just avoid Satan's lullaby, but that you awaken to the mission of God for yourself. I'm convinced there's a lot of you who have suffered your way into into sleep. I know what it's like to be so weary of living that you would rather just spiritually sleep than get up and fight another day. But as we follow Jesus' example this Holy Week, I think it's an opportunity for renewal. I think it's an opportunity for the resurrection of Christ not just to be some thing we remember, some holiday we observe, but something that we live and live in and experience for ourselves. I want resurrection to be actual and not theoretical. I want it to be something experienced and not just read of. But in order to experience resurrection, we have to follow Jesus through suffering. So I want us to do that. I can think of no better week to begin that than this week. So I've talked to Pastor Paul, I've talked to others, and I don't want to abdicate the responsibility to pray to a few people like Pam or Charity or others who meet here on a Saturday. I don't want you to abdicate responsibility to seek the Lord for yourself to me. I can plead with you, but we need to plead for the Lord to revive us together. And so what better Saturday to begin than Holy Saturday? So from 9 to 10 a.m., every first and third Saturday of each month, I will be here. You can join me if you would like. 9 to 10 a.m., those doors will be open to seek the Lord and to pray. And to say, from that place, Lord, meet us. From this place, Lord, I pray not my will, but your will be done. From this place, Lord, revive us again. Help us. Because I know I need it. Revival is not some hyped up experience. It's instead a move of God upon each individual's heart as we come together. Jesus pleaded with his closest disciples, please, I'm in great sorrow. He took him, his friends aside and started to be greatly troubled and they prayed together. Some of you have burdens too heavy to bear on your own. Couldn't bear the weight of my family alone. Couldn't do it. Didn't have the strength. God strengthened me and he gave me people who he strengthened for the job too. So I'm gonna invite you to stand and I'm gonna pray over you here. But my encouragement to you would be both to plead with God, to seek him in your own time because you will find strength and joy. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength and it gives you everything you need not just to survive in sorrow, but to thrive. And I believe we can see that in the year to come. Father, thank you that you give everything that we need. I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would awaken us to the sweet promises of your word, that we would experience the sweetness of your presence, Lord. And that next week, as we seek your face, that resurrection would be a reality and not just an idea. I pray that you'd bring it to us, God. We know what it is to suffer. I pray you would show us coming out the other side and you would make all things new lord we ask us we ask for each of us lord to be united with christ to be risen with him as well and we ask it in his matchless and precious name amen and amen thank you for each of you joining us today please remember to take a few of these as you go Invite somebody to Easter service. Pray for those people this week. And let's see people meet Jesus in resurrection along with us. Amen. God bless you guys.